Thank you for being here with us this morning, church family. We have many families that are out today and uh, on trips with like uh, wives and husbands just enjoying their time together, and that's where Seth and um, uh, Logan are. They're in Florence where they are having their anniversary uh, weekend together, just spending time. So be praying for them that they would enjoy uh, their trip, uh, enjoy their time together, and that they would would be refreshed and renewed uh, because when they get opportunities, when we get opportunities to go away like that, it's special and it's sweet. And um, I hope that it's a great weekend for them. I've been praying for them a lot that it would be good for them. With that, though, I want to point you to Acts 13, 13 through 43 is where we're going to be today. Um, we get to see today the title of the message is The Faithful God. Um, we get to see just God's faithfulness, and I don't know if you saw it in the songs that we were singing, but all the songs were about that, and uh, uh, we get to sing and proclaim the faithfulness of our God. Uh, as you can tell, my uh, uh, head's kind of stopped up right now, so be in prayer that I uh, can um, uh, make it through the message, and y'all can hear me as I go through, but... Um, I want to point out that this passage is this kind of a, a, a moment. We've, we saw Paul go through all of Cyprus preaching the gospel last week, and now he's come to this moment where they're traveling and they're moving along, moving forward, and they're coming to a new area, and they're preaching in uh, the temple first. They're talking in the temple first and sharing the gospel there. And so we get this moment where they're in front of these Jewish leaders. And I feel like the Jewish leaders are a good representation of us oftentimes. And what I mean by that is uh, they seem kind of foolish. And you'll hear and see why in just a moment. They are kind of ignorant. And I have a story to kind of point to that, how we are like this oftentimes. Have you guys ever done the thing where you're walking around looking for your phone as you're trying to exit and the phone is in your hand? You ever done that one? Yeah. That's like, how in the world did I do this? Or you're walking around talking to someone on the phone and you tell them, I've done this, like this is how dumb I am. You tell them, I cannot find my phone and I need to leave. And like... The funny thing is, I, I won't tell you who I was talking to, but the person I was talking to didn't even think either, like, you're on the phone right now, Joe. They're like, well, where would it have been? And it's like, they're trying to help me through it or whatever. And it, it, the realization of, man, I am not the smartest cat, cat in the bag, you know. I'm not that great is what happened. And so we often are like this. We have something that we're looking for, and it's right there in front of our eyes. We have this story that we're given today where the Jewish leaders have the thing they've been looking for right in front of their eyes, and they just miss it. This is who we are as people. So I'm going to set the scene real quick for us. Read just the first um, four verses with me. It says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. 
And the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his, his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So we get this moment set up. He's about to preach this sermon on the faithful God that we have. And I want to point out a side note right here. You see John Mark leaves them. Um, that's important and it's going to set up some things in the future. And a lot of people think that he left because he was mad and just deserted them. I don't think that's what the situation is here and we'll talk about it more in the future. But I think he just kind of got like homesick and wanted to get back home to his family. I mean, you guys know when we went to Nepal like, and you're gone for like five, six days, you're like, all right, I'm ready to get back home and see my family. I want to spend some time with them. It's easy to get homesick like this. And so I think that's what's happening with John Mark. But what we're going to see today, and what I think God wants us to see from this scripture, is that God has been faithful to the gospel and to his people throughout the generations. And he will continue to be faithful to those who believe. So church family, may we see God's faithfulness today. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive into the rest of the passage. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to a people who do not deserve you to be so faithful to us. Lord, we so easily run and do other things and choose other things and seek other things other than you. God, help us today to see how you have been so faithful to your people, to us, to bring us the gospel. You've been so faithful to your plan to save souls. God, I thank you that you are a great God and worthy to be praised. Lord, may we praise you with our hearts today, with our words. Lord, open the scriptures and speak to our hearts with it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first, the first point we see today is God faithfully led his people throughout history to the Savior. God faithfully led his people throughout history to the Savior. So let's read 16 through 25. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made them a people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, they gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and John was finishing his course. He said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but not... I am not he, no, but behold, after me is one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. 
I want us to see from this section, he's setting it up, pointing to Jesus, leading up to this time of his emphasis of Jesus. And so, yeah, this, this sermon that Paul presents to the Jewish leaders is probably longer and it's probably just summarized right here. But I want us to see the importance of this summary. It's important for us to see that this is God's story. Every single thing that we see here, it's God doing the action. Hear that. It's God doing the action. Paul begins by emphasizing God's grace to Israel as he briefly summarizes Israel's history. God is the subject of nearly every verb he chooses in this passage. John Piper said it like this. It is, uh, this text is utterly saturated with God. 16, time, 16 times Paul presses home the truth that God is the central actor in history history is god's story church family we need to see this we need to see this about our god he is not just old man upstairs he's not some just genie that we can say hey help me out here God is the planner of all of history and he's building and he built all of history to bring us to the truth of Christ. This sermon is scripture saturated, God centered and Christ exalting. Notice this initiating work of God throughout this passage. God led them out. He put up with them. He gave them their land, gave them the judges, gave them Saul the king. He raises up David as a king. It was God constantly working. God doing the work in history to bring about salvation. Look at Acts 13, 16 through 25 with me, if you will. Put it up where it's underlined. Uh, did it not underline them? Oh, there it is. Sweet. So look. Well done on the quick transition. Look at all the underlines. This is where God chose God made, He led, He destroyed, He gave. And so God, 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 it's Him doing this. And the Israelites think it's about them. These Jewish leaders get caught up thinking it's about them. And we as people get caught up thinking this life is about us and about all the stuff that we see. We get caught up praising the creation rather than the Creator. Romans 1, 24-25 says, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We get caught up chasing after creation rather than God. We get caught up thinking that we're the ones that matter when this whole story is actually all about Him. He is the main actor. He is the, he's the one that we're paying attention to. And we are just a small little side note in the whole picture of things. And so what that should do is not say, look how minuscule, we don't matter at all. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm wanting to do today is to elevate how big God is. How great He is. How faithful He has been to bring about salvation to us. It should not make us feel just low and obsolete, but it should just raise Him higher and higher and higher. 
Does that make sense? <laughs> Thank you. When we praise the creation rather than the creator, it just makes no sense. Think about this. When you taste some amazing food, like Logan made at our uh, meeting the other day, our membership interest meeting, we had some potatoes there that were amazing. You don't praise the potato. You praise the creator of the potato that did it. And I thank Logan multiple times. You praise that chef. When you see a beautiful painting, you don't praise the painting for sitting there looking so beautiful. You praise the painter. When you see someone's immaculate yard or landscaping, you don't praise the yard or bushes. You praise the dude that cuts the grass and say, well done, brother. When you walk into someone's house and you see the beautifully designed home, you don't praise the furniture for getting into the right spots and just being designed just right. You praise the wife that probably set it up because it ain't the dude that did it. When you look at the world all around in all of its intricacies, you can't praise the universe because it didn't create those things. It didn't create gravity. It didn't create atoms. We praise our God because He is the one who did it all. It makes no sense for us to look out into our world and say, how awesome is our world? And forget Him. Church family, we have to realize, and I'm trying to set a tone for us, this story, we, our story matters, but it's so much more about Him. And we can see here, Paul jumps from the Davidic kingdom to the new king, the promised Savior, Jesus. So he's built up all that God has done for his people. He's built up all the great things that he brought about. And then he says, all right, now here's the big show. King Jesus has come. And he quotes John saying that he, there's one to come who I cannot even untie his shoes like he's trying to praise and lift up Jesus before them to say, guys, you have been blinded. You're holding the phone and don't realize you got the phone in your hand. You have been blinded to the truth. For whatever reason, you have chosen not to see the greatness of our God and that he has sent the Savior. We need to be like John, church family. We need to be like Paul here, purely worshiping the king in everything that he did just being him just for being who he is the faithful one that brought about Jesus coming to this earth years and years 2,000 years 8,000 years he structured history to bring about Christ at the perfect time and then point two for us today is God faithfully raised the Savior in spite of of our efforts. God faithfully raised the Savior in spite of our efforts. 26 through, 20, uh, through 37, read it with me. It says, Brothers, son, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Fulfilled them by condemning him. 
And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that God that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Church, I want us to see our efforts. Our efforts are like these Jewish people, these Jewish leaders. They did not recognize God. They did not see Jesus as he deserved to be seen. They were ignorant. And they were just like us. And people here in the south, or they, if you saw in the passage, they every single Sabbath heard of the coming Messiah. They heard of the prophecies. They heard about the one who was to come, and they still missed it. Church family, you can sit in a service every single Sunday. You can sit here. You can attend church. You can even listen to K-Love on the radio and miss Jesus. Church family, may we not be a people that just gather and sit around and talk about God's Word and miss Him. May we not be a people that get caught up in our day-to-day stuff and just attend on Sunday and miss what God is doing. They were ignorant to the truth. They didn't see it. Church family, I'm praying that our hearts would be open, that we would really see God as He deserves to be seen today. That it's not just that He is He's God. Yay. But man... How great is our faithful God to us. We didn't deserve His love, but He so freely gave it. Not only did they not understand it, but we will be like these leaders and come against God. They wanted to see Him arrested and killed. In Matthew 12, 30, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I want us to see... If you are even attending every single Sunday, you can be against God. You can be His enemy if you are not seeing and worshiping Him him as He deserves to be seen. If you're not submitting and walking with Christ, you are against Him. And what I mean by that is you can be deceptively causing other people to worship a false God that you're pursuing if it's not the real God of the Bible. If you are saying, like, hey, I'm attending on Sunday, I'm showing up, I'm doing this thing, I'm playing church, if that's what you're doing, you're also deceiving those around you from what is truly meant to be true worship of our God. May we not be the enemies of our Savior, but may we 
fall before His feet and trust in Him. It could be that we're showing others around us the wrong way to worship. I want to ask today, are we just playing games? Are we just here to check that box and say, how great are we? Are we here to say, man, I'm doing the moral thing. I'm showing up to church on Sunday because get my pat on my back. I'm not like the rest of the world. I at least show up to church. Like, may that not be us, church. May that not be our goal. Our goal is not to pat ourselves on the back, but to see the one who all of history is about. When we gather, it's not to say, look at us. Look how great we are, but it's to look at Him and say, how great is our King? It's about Him. It's not about us. And there's some good news though that in spite of us though, in our sinfulness, in us playing games, in us running from Him, He still fulfills His promises. He still fulfills His prophecy. Jesus Christ did not save the worthy, but the unworthy. This is from uh, Spurgeon. Jesus Christ does not save the worthy, but the unworthy. Your plea must not be righteousness, but guilt. Church family, may that be our plea. That we are not good. We are not great. And we miss God oftentimes. And we must come before Him and say, God, I'm trusting You today. I am not worthy, but You are. May that be our plea. And He faithfully fulfilled His prophecies. He uses Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7 to point to Christ as the Son of God that took our punishment to His death. And God raised Him from the dead. And we see that in the passage. It is not faith in Christ that saves you. This is another quote from Spurgeon. It is not faith in Christ that saves you. Though faith is the instrument, it is Christ's blood and merit. Get the beauty of that. It is not something that we do. Salvation comes because of what Christ did on the cross for us. It's His blood. It's not because I went to church on Sunday. It's not because I showed up. It's not because I even read my Bible at home. It's because Christ is great. And it's His blood that took my place on the cross. He has to be what it's all about. And then he also points to Isaiah 55, 3 in this passage. That he would receive the promise that was due David. And then we see in Psalm 16:10 this quote at the end of it. That for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One see corruption. That's at the end in verse, uh, I think, 36 or 37 there. What he's talking about. These are all prophecies. And he's pointing to the fact that Jesus would come and take the place of David. And even though David, their great king, experienced corruption. Corruption being death and decay. There was one who wouldn't. And that was Christ. 
God raised Christ so that He would not see corruption or decay. Jesus is God's Holy One who saw no decay. He is the one who received the sure and holy promises to David. He is the Son of God whose throne is forever. Paul's witness was now complete. Apostles and scriptures attested to the resurrection of Jesus in the fulfillment of the promises to David. It is now, it now only remained for his hearers to accept him as the promised Savior. See, he presents the story. He presents God throughout all of history. And he says, it's been leading up until the point of, you love your King David. You've been longing for the one who's going to come from David. And he has come. Jesus is the evidence of that. He did not see corruption. He's alive today. And you can have hope in him. You can know the goodness of salvation through our Savior. And he's presenting this before these men. He's saying, come and know, this is the one who you've been longing for. Church family, Jesus is the one we've been longing for. In spite of our mess-ups, in spite of the things that we do, us choosing everything else other than Him, He is the one we need. When we don't even realize it, He's what we need. We choose and seek all these other things that don't satisfy. But the truth of it is, is when you find Jesus, you will find satisfaction in your soul. It will be more than you could hope for. It will be more than you could dream. And church family, may we lean in on that. If we have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, may we go in and draw in close to Him. And not make it about all this other stuff, but make it about Him. Because even though we ran, even though we choose everything else, He came after us and He saves souls. So that leads us to the last point. God faithfully saves all those who believe. Even though we ran, God faithfully pursued. Even though we chose to do other things, He still faithfully uh, filled out his prophecies and now we see that God faithfully saves all who believe acts 38 through 43 it says let it be known you to you therefore brothers that though that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets should come about Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these, might become, that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Church family, see this. God faithfully saves, and everyone who believes can be freed from sin. Everyone who believes can be freed from sin. Church family, we have been chasing, our souls have been chasing things that will not be will not satisfy. And sin's hooks have been ground into our souls. And everyone who believes can be freed. Church family, trust in Jesus. Paul is saying here, 
Here's the good news of the gospel. You can have the forgiveness of sins through Christ. You can be justified. That is, declared righteous in God's sight through Jesus. We who can't be perfectly obedient to God can be counted righteous through placing faith in Jesus. We can't earn this righteousness. We just must receive it. We can receive justification. Meaning that just as if you never sin, but also just as if we always obeyed when we trust in Christ alone. Listen to that last part again. Just as if we had never sinned, but also just as if we had always obeyed. We can trust in Christ alone. The law cannot free us. Working hard cannot free us from the guilt of sin. I think a lot of us come in here today trying to work hard. Trying to just be better. This week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more. I'm going I'm to love better. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to do whatever the goal is. I'm going to work hard at being the better person that I need to be. And the truth is that the works, the works of the law, none of it could free you from sin. Working hard cannot save you from your sinfulness. You cannot pull the hooks out. Only Jesus can. And some of us are beat up and tired and spent. Some of us are tired of working and you're just like, I want to give up. I'm tired of trying to be nice. I'm tired of, try, tired of trying to be the one that does the better thing and the one who doesn't start junk. I'm trying to be the best person I can be. And some of you are like, I'm just worn out being that person. And the good news is you don't have to be that person. The reality is, is you actually can't be good enough. The truth of Scripture tells us that you will never achieve morality. You will never achieve greatness in, in yourself. You will never be kind enough. You will never be good enough apart from Christ working in you and freeing you from sin. It's when He's at work, it's when you become who God's called you to be. It's when we surrender our lives to Him that He does the work. And so there is good news today. You can be free. You can no longer have to run and just wear yourself out trying to be good enough. You can't be. Surrender. Surrender to Him. Trust in Him today and say, I'm going to stop trying to run. I'm going to stop trying to be great. I'm just going to let you be great through me. I'm going to trust in you and you do it all. I'm going to lean on you, Jesus. I'm going to surrender to your spirit and you do it all. So today, that's the call for us. Not to continue working hard. Not to continue trying to be your best. Go after Jesus. Stop trying to live by your own means. Surrender to yourself. Surrender your desires and trust in Jesus today. And the Gospel tells us that He saves those who believe. He saves those who put their trust, entrust their lives to Jesus. 
So today, that's the call that Jesus proclaims to us, that Paul proclaims to us. You guys hear the gospel every single week. May we not get numb to the good news. May we not get numb to the fact that our God has been faithful to us. Imagine the beautiful picture that over generations and generations and generations, God was weaving this universe to today in this moment where we're hearing the gospel and the good news. He weaved it all together to bring us to the point where we know the truth, where we have the opportunity to surrender our lives to Him. That's how great and faithful our God has been to us, a people that do not deserve it. Today, church family, may we surrender to Him and trust in Him to do the work. See the good news today that our Savior has done. See the good news that He took our sin on the cross. He died on that cross. And the good news that He did not see corruption. He still is alive He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and He is in heaven now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He is alive. Now let's surrender our lives to the King who's worthy of it all. Let's stop surrendering to the things of this world, and let's surrender to our King. Let me pray for us. God, I thank You for Your goodness. I thank You for the truth of Your Scriptures. Lord, I ask that You would help us Stop pursuing our own desires. But Lord, we would not be blinded to the truth of the gospel by coming to church all the time. Lord, but we would see the truth that you are holy, you are great, and you're so much bigger than we give you credit for. May we see your greatness today. Speak to our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray.